Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. So I am so glad to be here, and I just want to clear the air on something really, really fast. Um, some of you made a connection to the weather and me coming uh, by myself, and you blame me for the snow, and now you're blaming us for the ice, that we are not responsible <laughs> I just, I just want everybody to know that up front. And don't hold anything against me, please, in regards to that. So, hey, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. And I know that God has something for each and every one of you. We have been in a series called Catalyst, and we've been looking particularly at a book of the Bible called Ezra. And what we've said is really the bottom line for the whole series is this. The only thing that's impossible is what? Is the thing you never change you never start it's a thing you never start the thing that is that will never change in your life is the thing that you never start and we've looked at Ezra and we've looked at what's going on with the people of God at the time and my hope and my desire is as we've began to get into this maybe unfamiliar book for many of us is that maybe there's something that's welling up inside of you maybe we looked at uh, it was something we looked at last week where I talked about how God offers a brand new start. Amen. Has anyone ever had a brand new start with God? God's given a brand new start. Slates wiped clean. That, and we looked specifically, we really dialed into the gospel and just showing how the gospel offers a brand new start. But also there was a hopeful takeaway last week that it's a brand new start for those who've had a false start. And many of us have had some false starts. We've started and stopped and maybe not followed through like we, we know that we ought to have. And yet, we also looked in, in that passage. It was so obvious when we went into Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And what we looked at is there was fear present. It wasn't just this utopian kind of thing. Like everything wasn't just perfect and all dialed in. It was Instead, there were fear because there were people who occupied this land. And although God had given them this land, there was fear present. So despite their fear, they moved forward in faith. And I invited you to do the same. We're going to continue along those lines today. And ultimately, we're going to land on just a couple of of different verses or different uh, sections, really. But we're going to begin in Ezra 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 16. And what we're going to see here is how the, the story of God continues with these faithful people who have been sent back into the promised land after they've been gone for a long, long time. And they were people who were not free. I think we have to understand this. These people were not free. These people were captive to first a group of people called the Babylonians who oppressed them And then the the Babylonians were beaten by the Persians, and the Persians had a different way of living and a different way of governing, and they allowed God's people to go back to the homeland. But the homeland is not put together. The homes aren't put together. There isn't a place of worship put together. They came back, and and it was was rubble. All they saw was work. And God would inspire this work because ultimately what God wanted was worship. And, And also last week we talked about the very thing that brought the people together was it was not their preferences, but it was one principle. Anybody remember the principle? Worship. It was worship. That's what brought them together. And that's what we're going to see continued in verse 7 in just a moment. But I want to give you this hopeful message. Even before we jump into 
where we're going to be in Ezra 3. And I want to just show you something, and, and I want to just read something to you. And it really, it, I don't think it means as much to you as it does to myself or to Marla, but I, I know that some of you have actually asked this question, and this question wasn't addressed on the Q&A uh, prior to, to us coming. But I want to just let you know this. God works in amazing ways. Amen? And God is working when you don't think he's working. God is working when you think he's working. God is working in through, through our, our hurts, our heartaches, and our hang-ups. And that's just the way that God moves, and that's the way that God moves our hearts toward his. And I'm going to read just an excerpt of a book that I was reading back in, in 2004, actually. And, and I'm, I'm really weird when it comes to books. I have all kinds of messages to myself in the books that, that I read. And so I tuck little things away and I leave them there just as little, little like monuments of grace. So when I go back through it, I can see what God was doing at the time. And I can tell you what he was doing on March 13th, 2004, because this is what I wrote. And the reason why I know it is because his handwriting is terrible. <laughs> Chad and Zook was called to full-time ministry on March 11th, 2004. Chad surrendered that day. Marla Zook surrendered herself to full-time ministry, declaring herself committed to her husband's calling. To God be all glory, honor, and praise. And she did that just a couple days after is when this was written down. For me to be here and for me to be doing what it is that, that God would have me to be doing, it wasn't just the, the typical kind of pathway. It was through the pathway of a bunch of hurts and a bunch of heartache. And it was just... It was the pathway through all of those things. And although in my broken life and in the brokenness of my past, God used all of my past to bring me here today. And, and it's really easy, maybe in, you know, after the fact, to look back at your life a little bit and say, oh, God moved here and here and here and here and here. So I'm going to give you just a, a simple way of, of maybe understanding this. Um, I want to show you this first to see what this is so you see how awesome it is. Um, I tried to convince everybody to go to KFC last week, and now it's to be a Dolphins fan. So uh, Harold and I are some of the faithful few. But anyway, that's not the point. Uh, I want to – here is the point. You know, this, this is, has all been put together uh, with a bunch of thread. You can see that, right? Katie, you can see that? I'm not making it up. There's a bunch of thread all over this. None of these threads are exactly the same. None of them are perfect because they all have a little bit of fraying. If I were to put these under a microscope, we'd see that if they've all frayed a little bit. And none of them are perfect. They're all unique. And yet, the way that it all, went to get, the, the way that it all goes together is to make something that I think is pretty cool. Such is the way that God works in taking things from our past, even taking things from our present, taking our hurts, our heartaches, and our hang-ups, showing that we're imperfect like this thread is imperfect, but yet out of God's perfect plan, He puts together our lives. When we, when we delight in Him, He puts our lives together to make us a more complete version of ourselves for His glory and for the world's good. This is what God is doing in your life, whether or not you realize it. But this is what God is doing, and this is what God will continue to do as you yield your life to His. 
for, for me to be here in, in just the, the reading from this book, The Dream Giver, all those years ago, it's simply a reminder of me or of what has happened as God has worked in me to get me to the place that I am today, but I myself am just a frayed thread over the, just, over just the span of time that God has woven together to make my life what it is. God is doing the same thing in you. God is wanting the people of God that we're going to read about in Ezra 3 to understand the simple idea that he's bringing them together for a cause, for a future that they had not believed that they could have. But I want to begin here. This is one of the most impactful verses that I've ever had, uh, that, that I've ever read, discovered, studied, pondered, or anything else. And it comes from Ephesians 2, and it's verse 10, and it says, For we are God's workmanship. Another translation, maybe yours, says God's masterpiece. Uh, the word masterpiece is poema. Uh, think of poem and how beautiful that is. For we are God's workmanship, or masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So what, what does this mean? That means for we are God's workmanship, that those of us who are in Christ, God is moving and working in our life. He's using the events in our life, the relationships in our life, the hurts in our life, the heartache in our life, and our hang-ups to do something with us, although we are afraid individuals, but yet while, while we're not perfect, He is perfecting us and maturing us By the power of the Spirit. That's a good place for an amen. That means there's hope for you and I, and it doesn't matter where you've been, and it doesn't matter what you've done. That means if in this moment, or moments like this, where you trust Christ, Christ can redeem every single thing that's happened in your life. There is nothing off limits to God. Nothing. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is key, which means that God's workmanship is for us to do some good works. It isn't for us to just kind of live this solitary spiritual life connected to God. Instead, it's for us to see where is it that God wants me to be involved in the world? What is it that God wants for me to do in the world for His name and for the glory of His name and for the world's good? Because our faith was never just supposed to be about us as individuals. It's about us collectively and also what we are to be offering to the world. Even beyond evangelism, but definitely evangelism. Sharing our faith with lost people. This becomes important for us if we were to to really settle on the fact that we've had moments that have defined us. We've had relationships that have defined us. And yet they're, they've defined us maybe in the past, but yet God wants to use those to, ref, to be refined for our future. Simply said, and it's what's hopefully on the screen. Hey, there it is. The events of your life have not shaped you so that you can go inward into despair. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. They haven't shaped you to go inward into despair. So you just go further into your feelings, and you go further into despair and further into depression. That's not the work of God. 
Instead, those events have shaped you so that you can go outward into service. So that somehow God would would be working in you and the outflow of His work in you is so that you could bring a service to the world that would not be there aside from your obedience to Him. This is good news. We're going to see some other good news. Ezra 3, verse 7. This is what it says in verse 7, reading through the rest of that chapter. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyr, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa, as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Jeshua, son of Josedach, and the rest of the brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, they began the work. Appointing Levites 20 years of age and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Jeshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah and the sons of Hanadad and the sons and brothers, all Levites joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. Pause here for a moment. This is significant because now the, the Levites, they were a called people who their, their sole task was to maintain the temple and to maintain the worship that would happen in the temple. So if there was construction around the temple, that was their job. If there was supplies needed for the worship in the temple, that was the Levites' job. Uh, The Levites were like the larger body, and then the priests that we just read about, they were actually part of the Levites, but the priests had had more specific of a role. Go back into verse 10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with the trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, they took their places to praise the Lord, as described by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. I would mentioned in week one that there were three different exile groups that were released. The Persians allowed them to go back into, into the Holy Land. And the first one was, was led by Zerubbabel. I'll say it right eventually. Zerubbabel led the first exile group back. And then we know that Ezra led a group himself and that also Nehemiah led a group. And, and as they, the, the largest group was this group. So now they're in the promised land as what we've Uh, read about in weeks from the past. They face some fear, and now they're rebuilding the temple. Things are lining up. We see in verse 7 that the people had given money to the masons and carpenters 
and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. So things are starting to line up. Things are starting to line up scripturally and, and, and you see what's happening and the work's beginning and, and now there's a stir because people weren't just talking about doing work. Now people are actually embracing the work and now money's flowing to the work. Isn't it good when money flows in the way it's supposed to? Isn't it bad when money doesn't flow in the areas that it needs to? You know, it's such a struggle but yet you see that the money's flowing and things are happening and there's excitement and there's excitement because the, the first takeaway of two takeaways in this passage is this. is because they've been, they've been given a vision or a preferred future. They've been given a preferred future. If you have your sermon notes, you can fill in the blank there. The preferred future. Here's the interesting thing about what's happening in this passage. You see all of them gathering together inspired by God, and also with the one principle that they're looking to do, and that is to create an atmosphere of worship to God. So in doing so, they're all gathering together. They're getting all the supplies together. It seems like everything is is moving really, really well. It seems like everything is smooth. We're going to see in just a moment that it's actually not as smooth as maybe what we think that it is, just as the as we casually read that. You see that there's Zerubbabel. You see that he's there. They began the work. It says that in verse 8. You see that there's family units actually involved in the work. This isn't just the spiritual people. This is, this is everyone embodying the work. And I believe the reason why is because everybody has a preferred future. You and I all speak individually. You and I have a preferred future. We have a a place that we would want to be, maybe at the end of our life. Maybe some things that we want to do in our life. We definitely have that. You maybe not have talked about it. Maybe for you, you just haven't been given permission to dream. What I want to talk about this morning is is the preferred future of this church. Not just as us as individuals, but this church. Because this is a collective work. For us to embrace this reality, it's also to embrace the reality of what Erwin McManus said. He said, divine moments require us to move from the invisible to the visible so that the invisible can become visible. That's a lot of visibles and invisibles. What is he saying? He's saying for for us to have a preferred future and for us to embrace the gospel message and for us to to have the kingdom of God to forcefully advance in Taylorville and Christian County and surrounding counties. It's for us to, to not neglect our past but yet embrace our past by His grace and move forward not just as individuals but also collectively and start dreaming about what God would want to do here and believing that God wants to do a work here and that He has people that He wants to reach here. And that he wants every single one of you, and he wants the same for me, to embrace our role 
in God's redemptive plan here and now. Zerubbabel is is leading the charge. The people are gathering. Supplies are mounting. We, We read that they put the foundation in place. Some people believe that this was actually over the foundation of Solomon's temple. And by the way, Solomon's temple, you know the great temple, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed 50 years prior. So now for 50 years, they're in a place of longing. And now their preferred future was to be able to go and worship back in the promised land and to have the the hope and to, to have the worship in the place that they longed to. That was their preferred future. There's definitely a message there for them, and there's definitely a message here for us. What is the preferred future for us as a, as a church? What is it? I've been praying about this. I don't have all the answers for this. I actually believe that you're part of the answer. And I believe that, that God is, is going to inspire some things in you. And maybe some things that he's told you about years ago and you neglected for whatever reason. And maybe there's a hurt or a heartache or a hang-up attached to it. But I believe that God wants to do a work in every one of us because we all know lost people here, don't we? And because things here are not as they should be. When I read in the Gospels and I read about what the kingdom of God is like, I think I drive around Taylorville and I said, this is not the kingdom of God. This is not the kingdom of God around here. But what if it could become like the kingdom of God? What if God would inspire you to go into your workplaces and go into your families and go there not just as an individual, but to go there as as an ambassador of Christ? What if God were to send you out into your family instead of you retreating into your home, but instead sending you out? To reach lost people. To speak the truth of God's love to a lost and dying world around us. Then I believe in those moments when we embrace the truth of God's word, that is the preferred future that God would have for all of us. I don't know all of what it looks like, but just speaking it at the 30,000 foot view, that's what it looks like. It looks like the kingdom of God advancing by individuals. Taking the message of God seriously. And living on mission for God intentionally. You know, there's all sorts of examples in the Bible of of people who were inspired with, with vision to do things that God inspired them to do. For Joshua... He was, he was captured by this idea of leading them into the promised land. Although he struggled. It, there's a few times right at the beginning of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Joshua where God reminds him, this is big, tough Joshua. This is the, the, the man who'd gone into battle. This is one of Moses's, this was Moses' right-hand man, but this is also a, a general. This is somebody who accomplished a lot of things. And now as he's just about to take the promised land, you know what God has to, to to basically remind him of a couple different times to be strong and courageous. Reminding him, hey, be strong and courageous and reminds him that 
that God is with him. So even the strong can become weak. We also see this with Samson. Now his cause was a little different. His, his, whole, his whole ministry was to wipe out Philistines. Probably not going to do that. But if you read it, that's what happened in Judges. With Moses, it was protecting. He was, he was stirred. His preferred future was, was a place where that God's people would not be abused and not enslaved. So he was, he was stirred into action to protect his people from abuse. For the Apostle Paul, it was giving the gospel to the Gentiles. And he planted churches around the Mediterranean rim. And then after those churches were planted, more churches were planted, and more churches were planted. And people took the gospel message, and they went to, the, they went to the, all the corners of the world. And we sit here today because of the obedience of the Apostle Paul. Do you realize that we are actually in the middle of biblical history? Do you realize that? We're in the middle of what the Bible talks about. Yeah, we can read it and we know, how the, we know how it ends, but we're still in the middle. Jesus had his own message to his disciples. And we can read about this in John 17. This is what it says, John 17, verse 20 and 23. And this is the, what's referred to as the high priestly prayer. Of Jesus in John 17. And it's broken down in three different ways. But here is when Jesus prays for all believers. That would be us included. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in him through their message. That all of them may be one father, just as you and me. Or you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be one as we are one. I in them, Jesus says, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So Jesus, in... in, the last moments of his life. He's praying for us. For us. I, I don't know about you, but I have goosebumps just thinking about this. He's praying for us. He's praying that we would be a people of unity. He's praying that that the relationship that Jesus has with the Father is the relationship that we will have with Him and that we will go out and that we will bring the good news to a lost world. But to do it in a united way. And what broke Jesus' heart should break our hearts. When the church is yet not united, it should break our hearts. When the church is not obedient in sharing the gospel message with lost people and lonely people, that should break our heart just as it broke Jesus' heart. So not only is there a preferred future, this is a vision of what could be and what should be. There's a passage of scripture in Haggai 
starting in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And, and just by way of transition, I'll let you know what's, what, the reason why we're jumping to this. Because everything in this passage that we read from Ezra, everything wasn't just going perfectly well. There were things that were, that were going wrong. As, as a matter of fact, on surface level, it looks like they're going great. However, we see as we progress on in verse 12 of this passage, it says, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Why? Why were some people grieving? We know why, they were, why some people were shouting for joy, but why were some people grieving? They were grieving because they couldn't believe that the new temple would be as great as the old one. That's why. How do we know this? There's another connecting passage, Haggai 2, verse 1. Let's read this together. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach. The high priest, be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Verse 6 says this. And what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The God of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. How do we know that that there's something happening below the surface here. Because God had sent two prophets into this people at this time, Zechariah and Haggai. God sent two prophets to make sure that the work didn't stop. So now he sends this message through Haggai, and he's reminding, it's a reminder of the people, hey, Do you see what's going on? Are you aware of what's going on? God reminds him, he says, I'm with you. The reason why this work is going on is is for me. And God reminds him, he says, don't you know that this work will not cease? Don't get hung up on the past because I have a preferred future for you. This is a way of redeeming the past. That's what this is. If you have your sermon notes, that's the next fill in the blank. This is a way of redeeming the past. Because this, this other group of people who are crying and they're weeping, they're, the reason why they're weeping is they can't believe that the future is going to be as good as the past. 
Oh, Christians, so many of us get hung up on the glory days of the past. And we stop believing and stop hoping. We stop living in faith for what God has in the present and also into the future. And some of us, we've simply settled on our hurts, our heartaches, and our hang-ups, and we have stopped believing God. It's time to believe again. It's time to understand that God wants to do something in us again. That the past is not supposed to be something that, that cripples us, but that God uses our past, and he, 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 not to define us, but also to, to move us so that we're refined to be like Him. I'll illustrate it in this way. I love wood, by the way. I just love wood. I love wood. I love rocks. I like dirt. That's, I, don't, I don't know why. Consider me weird if you want to, but it's true. I just, I just like it. I like to surround myself with wood and rocks and dirt. Um, it's true. I have no idea how old this is. I know that I, I took a router, and, and just as a reminder of Philippians 4.13, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I told you that uh, that was an impactful verse last week. But if you were to look at this, this original cut, this is the original edge of the, the cedar tree. And if you were to look at this up close, you'd be able to see some of the growth rings, just the way that this wood has been cut. And it was so it was cut this way across the cedar tree. And people a lot smarter than me can actually go in and they can actually study these growth rings on a tree. And they can observe to see what the years were like, not only how old they are, but also what the years were like for the tree in its growth cycle. So they can look at the tree and they could say, wow, that was, that was a year that, they got a lot of mo- that the tree got a lot of moisture. Or they can also look at it, the same tree and they would say, or in a different growth ring and say, woo, that was a, that was, that they str- the tree struggled through that season. And they'd be able to look at these growth rings to kind of chart the history of a tree. Again, people a lot smarter than me. I just like wood, right? But I can observe that and I can see, wow, it's interesting because if you were to look at the cross-section of this tree in totality, you'd be able to see that some of the, none of the growth rings are exactly the same. There's different dimensions and twists and turns and, and some are thick and some are narrow and I don't know where this, this tree grew or what it had gone through. But I know that these growth rings tell me something about its past. What if your past could just be a growth ring of your Christian maturity? What if your past, what if if you were to not be stuck in your past, but what if you were to truly reflect upon your past, not to just turn a blind eye to it and ignore it, but what if, what if, I know it's a big idea, but what if, you could actually observe your past. You would ask God to reconcile your past. And what if then you could actually use your past to show the growth ring of your maturity so that your past could actually be used as a testimony to help other people? Romans eight twenty eight, familiar passage. 
for most of us, says this. And we know that in all things, somebody say all things, things. that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So in all things, God works. This is good news. God is using this group of people to create a temple, a place of worship, not just for that generation, but for generations to follow. God is doing something here at Calvary, not just for our benefit, but that generations may benefit by what God is doing now. This is why we invest in children's ministry. This is why we invest in marriages. This is why we invest in youth ministry. This is the reason why that the word of God, when it is spoken, that we need to take it seriously. This is the reason why that I, I, I have said today and I will say over and over and over to, for you and just inspire you to take the gospel message outside of these walls so that we can be people of the kingdom of God and we can see it forcefully advancing right here in our community. Because we're a church that exists for God, for the city, and also for the nations. I want to close with one passage. This will be on the screen, and it comes from Psalm 37. And I'm going to give you a a challenging question or two based off of this this passage. And again, my, my, my goal is not to make you feel bad. My goal is not to manipulate. My goal is not to do any of those things. My goal is to to be obedient to God and for you to be obedient to God. Let's read this passage together. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. Whatever your preferred future is, I believe God wants to give you, but He will not give that to you if you want it for selfish reasons. Instead, He wants you to partner with Him He's always wanting to partner you. He's wanting for you and I to partner with him. So my question for you is this. What have you been delighting in? What have you been delighting in? That word delight is a, is a powerful word. It's almost, it's almost odd because so many times, especially in parts of Sundays like this, we, we hear... We hear words and they make us feel and they make us think and we stop for a moment and some of us just lock up and some of us just, our hearts just open to God and God does all sorts of things like this. But this is an unfamiliar word for us to hear right now in a context like this. In the word delight, it means to take pleasure in. 
It means to enjoy. It even means pamper. Think that we have a heavenly father who invites us to delight in him and his promises. When we delight in him, he will give us the desires of our heart. It's because when we're delighting in him, he can trust that the desires of our heart are in alignment with him. I invite you to stand. So the question is pretty simple. What have you been delighting in? What have you been delighting in? Have you been delighting in the fact that that somebody hurt you a long time ago and you can hold on to that grievance and you're delighting in that grievance? You you, You find control in that grievance that you have something over somebody else? You're actually just holding yourself back if that's the case. But what are you delighting in? Are you delighting in what your 401k says? You open that statement up. You get in a place of uh, maybe desperation or doubt. You open up that 401k just to give you a little reminder. Oh, we're doing good financially. We're doing good. Are you delighting in that? There's nothing wrong with the 401k, of course. But if that is your soul's delight, you're going to be very disappointed. Are you delighting in a relationship? Or maybe it's even in the idea of a relationship. Are you delighting in, in some slots? That's your delight? That's your place of refuge? Something goes on, you struggle, you have a struggle at home, you say, I got to get out of here. Just go pull the slots. What are you delighting in? Is it a pill? Does it come from a bottle? What are you delighting in? God offers you a place to to have your slate wiped clean today. And maybe if you were to be honest with God, you'd say, you know what? I've been delighting in a lot of the wrong things. Do you know today that, that if you confess your sins, that he's faithful and just to cleanse you of your sins and purify you of all unrighteousness. That's what the Word of God says. That He can do that today. He will do that today. Let's observe this. Before we sing, let's just stop for a moment. Let's just close our eyes and let's pray. Let's pray just ourselves. And ask God, say, say, God, please show me. Show me what I've been delighting in. If you've been delighting in Him, it's going to be nurturing to your soul. It's going to be peaceful. Your relationships are going to be at peace. You're going to sense the mercy of God. But if you've been delighting in something else, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be pain. There's going to be anything but peace. What is it? What is it? Lord Jesus, show us today what it is that we've been delighting in. 
We also ask, God, that you would just give us the strength and the courage, the same strength and courage that you gave Joshua to do what he was called to do, but yet he was afraid to do. Father, I pray that in this moment, maybe somebody just needs to stop and pray in their seat. Maybe somebody needs to come to the front and they just need to just be honest with you and confess that to you. To say, God, I've been delighting in all the wrong things. I've been so attached to to this person or this thing that I've lost sight of who I am and I've lost sight of you. And maybe you follow that prayer up and say, God, give me a vision for the future beyond my past, beyond this current circumstance, beyond my hurt, beyond my heartache, beyond my hang-up. God, move today. Move right now. Move your people out of the seats up to the front if need be. Lead the person who's in the room right now and, and they don't even know you and right now they maybe they thought they were Christians coming into this space and now they're like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. All I can feel is the is I, I could just feel condemned right now. I just feel like like my world is caving in. And maybe what this is is and the only way that you can explain it is in those words, but what God is doing is He's trying to show you the, the weight of your sin and trying to help you to look up to Him to cleanse you of that sin. That He's trying to convict you of that sin. Sin maybe you've never felt before. But He's wanting you to have a new start. He's wanting you to receive Jesus. He's wanting you to make that decision to follow. He's wanting you to obey. I don't know what it is that God is doing right now. But I know it's real. As we continue on with singing, just know that the altar is open. If there's business that you need to do with God, you can do it in the seats, you can do it at the front. But just because we start singing doesn't mean that we're just moving on to the next thing. Because the next thing is always God's thing. What is God doing? Be obedient with that.